Ready? One, two, two three. Three. Jesus, that was the first one. All right. Like we could even <laughs> just keep this part in. All right. Let's just let this, this part can be kept in. Uh, they could they could listen to our scripts. It doesn't really matter. All right. Yeah. Okay. If, if if anyone who does listen in our you know like five people who actually listen to us and and you have issues with like quality of audio or like you know shitty editing or like poor quality control you can blame me on that one all right there there you go donnie sounds good well it's been a while um how are things what's new oh my god uh well i got this giant mic in front of me and i realized i said shitty so well i think i did anyway so don't I guess, worry uh, we, we have our podcast marked as uh explicit so that's that's okay oh yeah but you know there's gotta be an image i gotta maintain right like when, one of these days <laughs> when i climb that corporate ladder yeah, that's uh, unreal doing that. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, what's uh, what's new? What, what, what's been on top of your mind recently? Top of mind. Well, I am moving, um, so I can go on a giant tirade against the uh, rental real estate market in in New York, if you like. I'm not sure if it's going to be exactly applicable, um, but there's that. There's obviously the holiday season. There's the giant entertainment, which is the Twitter dumpster fire, which I think we'll also avoid um and uh well actually twitter twitter is interesting elon musk is not but twitter is pretty interesting yeah but we can we can talk about some other time yeah yeah we we can talk about about some other time um i i don't know i i think like there's a large conversation to be there we could talk about economics if you want you know the the whole wall street throwing a tantrum because they're starting to realize supposedly that powell doesn't intend to go back to zero interest rate anytime soon which is actually a normal thing like it's not normal to have zero so i don't know a mm. lot, lot of things off my mind what about you um well it's almost christmas so the trip is coming up uh so just been kind of busy with a lot of logistics recently but most recently uh i also told you google has changed its perf system right so kind of everybody's kind of dealing with the aftermath of that some people more dramatically than others um but other than that, I do. I have been thinking about. <clears throat> um, I don't know. Been thinking about sort of just. I, I somebody told me the the other the, the other day that something about you know, in, in instead of trying to find your passion, you should follow your curiosity, which is okay. I don't know if you've heard of that before. It's just it's like one of those other variants of like you know what's a better alternative than follow your passion, right? Which is way too cliche. Sure. Anyway, I forgot where I heard this, but uh, I've been thinking about that recently because you know, you know, I've I've been I've been always kind of jumping from one hobby to another, and not many of them stick after I get bored with it. And it's not super common, at least. I feel like a lot of people have something that they have had for a long time. And anyway, just something we're thinking about, like what is what is curiosity uh, versus what is obsession, right? I mean, I know you also have a lot of hobbies here and there, and just you know. That's that's just something I've been thinking about. That's that's, I think an interesting one. Um, I mean, one of the things that's kind of going on in my life in the past couple of years too is my parents basically going into retirement, and it makes you. I know both of us are into like this whole fire movement, right? I think for you mm-hmm. it's more fi than re, um, right? Which is weird to say, uh, but. <laughs> It, it kind of puts a perspective on like, are you trying to retire to something or from something? And the whole idea of like curiosity and interest and obsession really falls into that. Where I think for a lot of folks, um, 
or, and when we say a lot of folks, I, it might probably just be like the more work obsessed culture folks who yeah. have life more on autopilot. And so, you know, it's easy. They don't really have to think about it. And so when they suddenly have that taken away, they don't know what to do with themselves. And uh, my, my parents are kind of in that section. Um, but I don't know. We're this, this, we, we, we could talk about more more like psychological or humanist things. Uh, I don't know if this is exactly the format or, or, or area, yeah, arena where we want to talk it's about. It's interesting, right? Because I feel like daily, like a nine to five job that is not raking your farm is probably one of the best inventions of highly industrialized society. Yet, I do feel like like it's great in that it's super easy. You know, you you have you have this kind of compartmentalized life that you do. I mean, work that you do, and it gives you money. And you kind of have you kind of just you, you still get. I mean, other than the workaholics or you know people who work at black companies, um, it's uh, fairly. Let's, let's also provide a definition for black companies uh, so that you don't get fired. Well, you why don't you provide? Because you actually worked in Japan. <laughs> okay, well. That's that's I should point out that that is not saying I work for one. You know, I, I enjoyed my time in Japan. Thank you, Lakuten. Um, uh, a black <laughs> company is a vocabulary term in Japan. Basically, I think it was like braku kaisha, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or or braku company. Um, it's in katakana for whatever reason, because I guess it sounds cooler that way. But it basically means a company with really bad work life balance. Um, think of you know an intellectual exploitation. Mental. Exactly. Um, Where think about, you know, you you hear news articles every now and then of like some Japanese office worker basically working until he dies. It's it's those kind of companies. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, let's 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 keep you on that job, Donnie. So, yes, that's the (laughs) definition of a black company. Yeah. So in case people don't know, that's what black company means. Um, But yeah, anyway. um, So, yeah, like unless you're working for one of those exploited, exploitative companies. Exploitative. Mm -hmm yeah exploitative companies like you you don't you usually have quite a bit of time to yourself right afterwards uh you know you could be busy sometimes but it's the idea that you know you don't you don't own your work you kind of just trade your time uh for money that kind of it, it, it gives people a, a chance to be kind of complacent and just live on kind of live from day to day and <clears throat> yeah i do feel like that life unless you so like in, in, in the older days, right, before industrialization, you, you either did what your family did or you're kind of doing all kinds of labor that maybe is very intensive. And usually with the kind of family businesses, whether it's the farm or maybe it's it's um, a craft, you know, whether maybe like your dad's a carpenter or something like that. Um, either you just don't have a lot of choice. So it's kind of the relative happiness thing, right? It's like, okay, this is what my family has been doing for five generations. If I do a good job at it, you know, I'm happy, right? And I think, you know, this year is a good harvest and I don't have a lot of choices beyond my village. Or even if you're in a city, <clears throat> there's that, you know, craftsmanship, right? It's like, okay, my dad's, my dad's a carpenter. Of course I have to be a carpenter, right? I got to, you know, inherit the business, get good at the craft and all that. And um, so it's, it's kind of in a way because your choices are so limited, for good and for bad, it's very easy to find your meaning to life. Like that is what so- I do. Yeah, I would actually say it's less about choice and more about meaning, right? I don't think that the limitation of choice is what ascribes the meaning, but more of whatever default was there had more meaning or at least was in a context where it seemed like it would. 
uh, versus nowadays we're, we're much more detached from those things because everyone is more replaceable including the roles and so if we can jump so fluidly between different responsibilities and jobs mm. um, by definition or maybe not by, by definition but by the nature of that quality it means that they're less meaningful too right because we can jump so flexibly between you know it's not necessarily yeah, investment true. free like for example you have an interest in design i know but like you can go into design if you wanted it would not be like oh sorry next lifetime Right. You'd be like, yeah. all right, I have to take like a year or two, buff up like your design chops. And then and then you go into it. You'd have to probably start from scratch. But, you know, you could still yeah. get into it versus if you were a craftsman for a shoe, you'd probably never do craftsman for, you know, other. Well, I mean, maybe you would like for jackets and stuff, but not like going into blacksmithing. Right. Very yeah. unlikely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think it's true. that. I think that's true, too. Actually, I, th I think it's more it's more it's I think it's both, too, because when you do have. When you have limited choices, it's also easier to settle, because that th then you feel like you kind of you got the you got the map. So basically, what I'm thinking is, you know, the world before uh, kind of globalization or this idea of like replaceable jobs, you, you you're sort of in the local maxima, right? You don't know what's out there because that's not accessible to you. So you, you it's very easy to say like this is my max, right? This I I you know I this is the best I can do in my life. And that's it. And it's you know, you know, with happiness, it's a lot. A lot of it is about comparison, knowing that you know what you can, cannot get, right? And being happy with with knowing like this is as far as I know the best I can do. Um, so I think it's both too. Like one, yes, the jobs before are a lot more meaningful, uh, but also you just you just didn't have that many choices, so it's easier to be happy with whatever you had. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And that, that kind of, I don't know if maybe this is something that we should tie into, or maybe this is what you tried, wanted to go into, but like that, that brings us into sort of the design of defaults quite a bit now, doesn't it? Um, yeah, sort of I'm definitely a bigger, I'm definitely a big believer in not giving people too many, like not meaningful choices for the sake of choices. Like I, I think I think this is something that I, I like you know my 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 designer and I very much agree on is uh, like we see you know our competitor product and how they roll out the feature and give this like fluid like non-stepped control of something right and I and I just feel like it's not I mean it's not that one is inherently worse than the other I just feel like it's not really where uh, I think sometimes it comes down to an opinion but occasionally when you do give people too many choices that are not meaningful, if, if it's not just like a one to 10 thing, right? It's like, you know, you give people one to 10 with one per step or three per step. I think that's kind of an opinion thing, right? Or sometimes it's based on like, okay, how many, can you actually feel the difference? But if it's, if, if it comes down to like, all right, we're going to give you like five different versions of windows and they're all slightly different and called different things. You know, I, I feel like that's a little bit, that's in the, I'm in a camp of like, that's not really what I feel like is best for for people in the long term. Yeah, it's it's this weird space where we sort of have to juggle between. I mean, you could apply this to everything, right? But how much trust you put in the user and how much you want to kind of simplify things for them? Because technically speaking, not to get too political on this, but at least, you know, that's kind of how political parties work, where it's like, you know, generally what ideology ideologies we stand for. So these are the candidates who will who will push those. And then you're like, all right, then I check A or B or I don't know, C, which is neither of A or B, but that's not really inclusive of all choices. Um, yeah. And I would think that it's also interesting because 
well, both of us work in more, I guess, less consumer-facing areas because you're you're in platforms, right? I believe. Um, not. not I I actually like... do, I actually do work on quite a bit of stuff that's like directly facing users. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm I'm out more on the B two B side, and I have been for yeah. most of my experience, and and you do see it. The equation swings a little bit to the other side because it is. Like the more that the users care to invest in making those decisions, the more you actually do want to give them those choices because they actually care about those permutations and combinations. So yeah, yeah, it's, that, you know, it's different, that, right? Where like a consumer user, maybe they for that touch point, it's pretty light, it's pretty basic, and it's for the most part statistically in a narrow range of use cases. But for enterprises, their their processes and cultures just swing so differently that. You know, you yeah. do have to provide that that flexibility. Yeah, I, I think I think that's where considered to be kind of on the ladder of like pro versus consumer, right? Like pro or not like pro amateur, but just um, are you designing? Yeah, like are you designing for? Uh-huh. Yeah, but are you designing for you for for type of users who just want to get it done and is not doing it for a professional? Re- like how how picky the news user needs to be. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the voice memo app we're using to record this right now is super simple, but we also don't, I mean, at least in our stage of currently, you know, we're just recording this, uh, we don't need anything else, right? Like I wouldn't even understand all these other things that a, a professional recording app would have. Um, but you know, obviously you wouldn't design this for somebody who's actually doing professional recording for musicians and stuff. So I think it comes down to like, who are you designing for? But even in the professional space, um, actually, before we go to that, I do feel like in a consumer space, though, a lot of the burden falls on the designer to design, right? And I mean, that you is brought up job. like the, yeah, I mean, it's the idea of like, you know, you want to simplify choices to help people get done, get things done. Then you really need to understand what are people trying to do? Because then otherwise your simplification model wouldn't work, right? Mm-hmm. And you also want to make sure you, 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 you do a good job of educating people on like what the implication of the choices are. But in a professional market, I feel like sometimes when it comes to that kind of design, it's a lot about understanding what they want to tweak and understanding what sort of details matter to them and giving them just the right controls, but not too much. I still think that some professional software is just like, they take the easy route of like, all right, you know, you want everything manual, we're gonna give you everything manual. But I feel like the good professional software are the ones where they automate the things in a way that you would expect, but still give you a lot of manual control where you need it. Um, yeah, either way, I think it comes down to, you know, it comes down to understanding what, what the user actually actually does from day to day. This is starting I mean, to become a very canned UX talk. It, <laughs> it really is. And, and yeah. I was just going to say, like, I mean, it's difficult, but that's that's basically what MVP and testing is for. So, um, yeah, you know, there, there is always that part. Uh, it's it's weird. I don't know. I think we're, we're sort of at an age where we, we get... On one side, we're entering into somewhat of a professional-centered stage of our lives. We've been in this for a couple of years now. I mean, that that's why uh, so much of our conversation is tech in the field. And it's like, Jesus, is that actually what you talk about in your free time? It's like, yeah, actually it is. Um, you know, funny you uh-huh. say that because I um, I was so, on, on, I think yes, yesterday, maybe a couple of days ago, um, so I work with this TPM who's, you know, I think uh, maybe a couple years younger than me, maybe like a couple years, but anyway, she, she came to the company new, right? And she's, you know, just for those listening, TPM, uh, where I work usually is uh, somebody who does a lot of program management. So kind of 
great partner to product management, right? Anyway, so she was talking about how she wants to get into PM. And one of the things that she wanted to, to kind of learn was that, hey, you know, Donnie, can you, you know, kind of throw me some opportunities or windows where I can get exposed to it to see if I, if I like it, right? Because she hasn't really fully decided that that's what I want to do. But, you know, with PM now, is well, I think it's still a pretty hot, hot job or role for a lot of people to want to transition to. A lot of people are still thinking about it. So... <clears throat> She and one of the things I was explaining just to her those was that, poor poor souls. By the way, if if you're thinking about it and you're an engineer, like oh. I've got a lot of opinions <laughs> on that one, but mainly that you know you're you're getting paid higher than we are for less meetings. So that's all I'll say on that. But go on. Yeah, <laughs> stay where you are and enjoy your life. Um, and it's, yeah. it's not because like we mind the competition. It's literally just like, well, you know, I I enjoy what I do, but would I have less stress if I were something else? And and you could argue grass is greener on the other side, but I I would I would say you know there's I definitely a different dream, life out there. I definitely dream a lot of uh, dream a lot about uh, being a designer and not having to worry about all the other crap that I currently have to deal with. Anyway, but um, back to back on topic, if we had a topic, but basically she was asking, hey, you know, like I want to understand what PMs do, right? Like you know, show me some things and just kind of like you know expose her to it, right? And, I, and, and one of the things I was explaining on Thursday, and honestly, a lot of these things, I, I don't, you know, I don't regularly write about PM articles like a lot of people on Twitter or Medium, right? So I don't, I don't generally theorize my job a lot. But when I do talk to people like her, it gave me an opportunity to kind of theorize and summarize sort of the, the structures of my job and the characteristics of it. And one of the things I thought about was, you know, I think what makes a PM great kind of has two parts when it comes to I think the topic specifically we're talking about is like, how do you come up with these, with these ideas? Because one of the things that she wonders, like, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I you know, we, we do some execution and we have a decision that needs to be made and you just came back with a bunch of ideas and the proposal. I was like, where did you get that from, right? Do you just like, you know, and, and she literally told me, it's like, you know, I just imagine that you go to your room, close your door and it's just like meditate for hours and then come <laughs> up with a proposal, right? And I'm like, yeah, I think that's what people think we do, but that's absolutely not what we do, right? And I told her that, like, generally, I think when it comes to idea, especially when it comes to sort of, you know, new ideas, right? Not just ideas about, uh, or like making decisions, but generally new ideas. Where do we get that from? Um, you know, it's right that a big part of PM's job is to come up with proposals, you know, come up with new ways of approaching things or synthesizing things and stuff like that. But I told her that you really want to, you really need to like the two parts of this pipeline where the beginning of it is you need a way to kind of soak up all this information. And then the second part of it is you need a way to kind of synthesize the information, right? And I was telling her that, you know, as a, I think there are a lot of PMs out there that don't really, that, that don't really um, have a passion for product per se or design per se. And maybe their personal passion is golfing, right? Or maybe their personal passion is cycling. And to them, this is just this is just a job, right? They get as much information on the job as they as they do, and then they kind of take that, synthesize that, and all that. And I think I don't think that's bad. I think it's just that's the extent of sort of like idea soaking they do. Um, I do feel that the more visionary and more creative type of PMs, right? They definitely spend a lot of personal time soaking up soaking up information. And it's a different kind of type of PM. So I told her that, you know, a lot of that comes from, you know, I, I really just, I like this doing this stuff on my personal time. And if you feel like doing this stuff on the personal time is 
feels like work, then maybe I'm not the type of PM that you should be looking at as a model. You should be looking at another type of PM, maybe who's more business focused or, or execution focused, right? And I think, uh, so I told her that, you know, in the beginning of the pipeline, there's that idea generation. And, you know, you and I listen to, po- you have seen Jasper, like you and I listen to podcasts, right, about product. We read about stuff on the product. And back when we were younger, like, you know, like we, we, before we even knew what PM was, we were doing a lot of stuff that people would consider what PM should do to like, you know, know the industry and all that. So part of that is just, you know, I'm just entrenched in the world, in this world. And the second part of that, which is synthesis, is like, okay, now you have all this information. You do have a lot of channels where you get uh, information at work and on, in personal life that other functions or roles, maybe, maybe they don't get, right? I feel like still in any organization, a PM meets with the most diverse group of, groups of people. We meet with finance, marketing, right, and everybody. But nobody else meets with so many people on a regular basis. So to them, when, when I'm in a room that talks about something, they, they may feel like, oh, you know, I just came out of nowhere. But actually, I stole that from a meeting with a completely different discipline or function that you would otherwise never meet normally. You have no reason to meet, right? Well, I mean, I, um, so I I'm hope sort of, that you give them credit, you know, where it's like... Oh, yeah, of course. To, yeah. But, but, it's, but it's, 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 more of a, it's more of a, like, where do I learn this from, Right. Right. And where do you, how do you know all these kind of like, how do you know a little bit of everything just enough to connect the dots? I think that's where, you know, being a PM, being able to soak up the information, synthesize it and leverage your position as sort of the nexus of information processing. So I told her that and it just, you know, kind of because you, because you talked about sort of doing this stuff in a personal time. And I felt like that's a pretty important, in my opinion, that makes what I consider to be uh, uh like something that that each every PM should should have as a trait. Yeah, I mean that's even less of a trait, and that's just, that's more of like on the ground execution, right? Like how how the sausage gets made, sort of thing. I I actually looked through my notes, um, my my Apple Notes app because I remembered, I don't remember what it was, um, but but I just wrote down like basically. PMs have to be two things, or there's two drivers for I think I people who actually go towards PM and find themselves drawn to it and maybe even succeed at it. Um, one is arrogance and the second one is curiosity. Um, and arrogance? I'll, Why? I'll start with the second one first because the arrogance one is going to get me into trouble. But second one being curiosity, I think that makes perfect sense here, right? Like you could call mm-hmm. it interaction with other stakeholders and you're curious about how their stuff works and what they need. And that's basically how you understand the processes and things and the requirements better right so that you can actually understand the world that you're in and that translates into or that's what the arrogance needs to be fueled by because i i literally wrote here product management is to make the change you want in the world influence and power to make the world into your vision and i think that's what so much people are attracted to product management by because because there's the whole like quote unquote mini ceo version or, or definition of the title Right. And, and uh-huh. what that's really trying to encapsulate incorrectly, what it encapsulate is like, oh, you own it. Right. But what it does correctly encapsulate, assuming you're in a company that is product driven, is like, well, actually, what you're proposing is exactly what gets done to the most part. Right. Maybe not like pixel perfect, but like what you're proposing is then the strategy and execution and new functionality and changes. And so well, if you get the buy in for it, yeah. <laughs> sure. But like, yeah. you know, an engineer's usually not going to get that right 
or at least it's not their job and, and they're, they're focused on other things. Like maybe their implementation is what gets carried across, but ultimately that's not really felt acutely, right? Um, and so I think like the arrogance is you have to think and believe that you have the right answer because you're the one proposing it. You're the one pushing for it. You're the one trying to get buy-in for it. And that's what I'm characterizing yeah. there as arrogance. So I, it definitely requires a certain specific type of person. I don't, I don't think that, I'm not saying that the people who aren't that wouldn't be product managers. I find myself sort of fluctuating between different quote unquote archetypes. On one hand, the arrogant visionary sort of thing. And the other hand, you know, just more of like a, let's get all the stakeholders in here and, and see what everyone's ideas are and like maybe like vote on it or something like that, you know? Um, I, I think it just works differently for different products and cultures and, and where the person themselves is sort of at in terms of a mental and leadership style. So, um, but, but at least I, I think, I do think that at some point it does still come to those two though. Um, and I mean, this gets a little bit more almost sort of edgelord cringy here, but I even wrote like user problems are the now vision is your imprint, your world and will as the solution and why. So it's imposing your will on the world, but recognizing the world as it is, because if you don't, if you have the world incorrectly, you're just a tyrannical fool um, instead of a functional, successful product manager um, because yeah. you're, you're running your team as a tyrant. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I definitely think there's more to the two that makes a good PM, but I definitely agree that you, you gotta, I, I guess it's not that, I wouldn't characterize as arrogance, but more of a confidence in your opinion, right? I'm trying to be clickbaity think, here, okay? So like, <laughs> let's get some ads. I'm on. gonna, I'm gonna name, I'm gonna name the podcast as like why arrogant PMs make good PMs. <laughs> exactly. Like you want, you want to get more than our five viewers. This is how you do it. Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I, I do, I do believe that good PMs should be opinionated, but. They, like you said, they also shouldn't be blindly opinionated and not open to change, right? And I think, yeah, arrogance is one way to describe it because you got to be arrogant in some capacity to believe that why... You have to have ego. You definitely yeah. have that. Yeah, like why, why, why am I the person who will come up with the best strategy versus the other, right? Maybe you, exactly. you genuinely don't believe that you're the best person for the job, but at the but end of the day... you believe you're I competent like, enough, and that requires yeah, a good sense of that. Yeah, and I, I definitely think that the most frustrating PMs I've worked with um, are the ones who don't have opinions. Like, what do you think? You know, or like, or hey, it's not even just what do you think, but mm -hmm. there's no consistency in their decision, right? And it's frustrating right. for the user, it's frustrating for the team, and it's, they're very easily, they easily change course because there's no fundamental, like, sort of framework or opinion or sort of philosophy there. And I feel like, I mean, I can imagine as an engineer, it would be very frustrating because, you know, you spend a year building this thing and next year because of some leadership change or some other trend thing, you know, your PM suddenly says, actually, we're going to do this other thing, right? <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. So I, I no, think... it's not. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so I, I think, I think, uh, I think I definitely agree with you to some extent uh, that you definitely need a level of, um, you know, look, I, the thing, I, the saying I really, really like, and I forgot who said it, is, you know, if you're in the room and you're a decision maker, right? Um, uh, if, I, I, I don't remember what the context was. Basically, it was something to the extent of, okay, like, we disagree on something, right? And 
if we disagree or something, let's use data to help us make the decision. Sure. Uh, if we don't have data, then all we got is opinion, right? It's your opinion versus my opinion. And if it comes down to opinions, which actually is surprising a lot of times when it comes to product, it is at the end of the day a matter of opinion. Because sometimes oh, absolutely, because pro- you could yeah. you could dissect data in so many different ways. Well, not not just that you can present data in different ways, but sometimes data just don't tell the story. They they can't mm-hmm. you can't use data to prove every single thing, especially if it's a brand new thing that has no precedence before. So when it comes down to your opinion versus my opinion, it's very much of just okay. Then might as well use my opinion because I'm the one taking responsibility for this decision, right? And then you have to be able to convince people why your opinion makes sense logically, philosophically, right? Like how does it align with your organizational value and all that? So in a way, you kind of you kind of need to back up your opinion, but it's still an opinion, right? Sometimes it's not necessarily a, not everything is. I mean, you know, some some of our friends who are working maybe ads or search may disagree, but at least in my role, there's a lot of um, like design and creativity involved, and there's a lot of things that just you can't prove one way or the other. You kind of have to. It's a brand new thing. You kind of just have to take a shot and then see, right, how it goes. So, um, yeah, I think having opinions is very important. Wow, uh, you know what? A, what a controversial statement. Having opinions is, is important. <laughs> That's yeah, a... we're showing very we're showing groundbreaking insights here. <laughs> this is yes. what happens when we when we haven't had a podcast for what three years. We're just uh yeah, rusty yeah, on the I insights. Mean, <laughs> there's it's not even uh well like there's an insight thing, but there's there's like oddly enough so much to talk about, but yet at the same time not that much. And on one hand. You know, I'm I'm kind of glad that there's a continued interest in like the whole PM thing. I think it means that there's more brain power focused towards like the why and how, and not just like a endless metric driving sort of sort of sense across the world. Um, but at the same time, it's like, well, well, we'll see. It, it does feel like some sort of I, industrial transformation, though. No, I don't. You know? I don't know if I agree with the first part. I think most. I actually think that what you're thinking of, right? Because thinking about why the strategy and all that behind the scenes, it's not as common as you think. And it even, you know, like I'm not thinking any specific people, but just general impression of the people I work with at Google. I think, I mean, maybe it's just the people, the the Google hire tends to be more execution focused, but I definitely don't think even at Google, most PMs are as interested in sort of like the grander vision or strategy type of thing. Maybe it's because the nature of the product they work on just required that level of like, you know, iteration, iterative metric pushing, right? Or, or sort of like ad hoc decision making. But honestly, I just see a lot of, um, at least around me, Google or not, I see a lot of sort of iterative decision making without a super sort of like, without a really long time horizon. Well, sort of I'm, not, I'm not exactly asking for like a three, five year roadmap here. I, I think like the from the fact of the matter is that as a PM, I'm assuming that at almost every company with a PM, hopefully, there's at least quarterly planning and yearly planning. And and if it just goes to one year, that's, that's still planning, you know, um, versus something that's not like, I don't even know. Oh, I'll take an example, right? Like if you take a pure B2B play that's building, especially like hardware 
to the requirements of customers, there is no planning about that really whatsoever. You're literally just given a giant book of what to build. Like that, that has zero planning, even yeah. on a quarter. I guess I'm, I'm too biased by my current role, but yeah, I do think that, yeah, I do, I do, I, I agree. I think, uh, yeah, sometimes a year is enough, sometimes a year is not enough. Yeah, I guess I'm just very allergic to the, the specific kind of PM style that is very ad hoc decision making and there's not like a consistent theme running through why we do what we do. And I think I, that's I because see... for the most part, PMs are just sort of putting fires out, right? And so yeah. day to day, it is that execution. Like, it's just like, crap, how am I supposed to solve this thing that just happened? Um, yeah, and... I think I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I should, I actually, yeah, I, I think you're right. I should, I should, I would like modify my statement, which is, I think at least around me, Google tends to be a very stretching people thin kind of org, right? Like if you're a PM, especially, you generally get more stuff than, than, than you have time to focus on. So by stretching yourself so thin, you don't, a lot of people don't really have a lot of time to kind of sit down and think about that, that higher level stuff. And it just kind Sounds of Sounds like a, Sounds like you're telling me that Sundor doesn't need to uh, tell the PMs to uh, work more productively at uh, at Google, just the engineers, huh? Well, we did get told to uh, to uh, sharpen the focus. I guess as PMs <laughs> too, you gotta cut cut back on your priorities. You know, just oh, but that's that's anyway. telling you to uh, take up less stuff. So you know, that's that's a good one. That's that's the opposite of uh, what's whatever's happening on in um, every other dumpster fire. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, different different topic. Anyway. But yeah, so there's uh there's definitely the fire element. I think uh people, yeah, and and then just it's easy. I think especially with junior PMs, uh, I think it's easier enough to kind of focus on execution, right? You're able to make decisions that make sense in that context. But the most senior you get, I think I think what people look for more is sort of your influence across a wider range of products, a larger group of people, and longer time horizon. And that that I don't I don't see a lot. Right. Um, I mean, and maybe it's because just by the nature of it, like not that many people that are senior to begin with. Um, but I'm just thinking like a lot of people join PM. They want to do this job, but I don't know how many of them are going to enjoy that sort of, you know, like, I don't know. I guess. Oh, I, guess I agree. Just, I think yeah. a lot of them, it's it will become like the dog that catches the car and they're just like, you know what? I, I actually do not like especially for anyone who takes a pay cut and finds themselves in triple the amount of meetings. Um, yeah. that's, that's my rough jab back at and circling back to the, uh, some of the engineers there. Um, you know, uh, don't send me any hate, hate mail. I'm, I'm good. Um, but <laughs> what I was going to say is, uh, I think that that comes because Google and, you know, at least where I left meta are bottom up companies. So how much can leadership plan ahead? They, kind of can and can't at the same time because they can tell you where to march but they don't know where you're marching to i mean supposedly they're, they're supposed to be the ones telling you where to march but at the same time it's like not really right there's this kind of weird ambiguity where it's circular where it's like they have you know let's say they're like well we need growth in yeah, let's take meta for example these are completely fabricated i haven't been there in a long time uh so you know if i'm hitting something on the mark there don't don't pursue me legal um but like let's say like oh you know tiktok's a big competitor uh we gotta do like insta whatever they did like 
no stories existed for Snapchat, but whatever. Oh, reels. That's 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 what it was mm-hmm. called. So you know, we need more reels because we want to do like compete against TikTok, and that's the general direction, maybe, right? Like I'm not in those chats because I'm a low APN. Um, but then it's the ones on the ground floor, you know, like the L four, L five that are like, oh, well, if we're competing with TikTok, you know, we, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to do that. And they propose that back to leadership and leadership basically will go like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, if you think those will move the metrics, that's what we're going to do. You know, they're not going to go like, yeah, no, that's the, unless it's completely absurd, they're not going to be like, yeah, we're not doing that or or going in a different direction. So they can't really give you that like three year time horizon because it's like they don't know what's actually going to happen until you propose it to them. Yeah, at least from my personal experience, it's very similar. Like Google is very bottoms up too, right? And it, it's it generally in bottoms up organization. As PMs yourself, you do hold a lot of the decision making power, but at the same time, you lack the infrastructure to support a three year long sort of like horizon of of sort of guidance and leadership. And more importantly, I think alignment across the company is really really difficult. Like our leadership, um, they do a lot of sort of directional, what I call directional synthesis. As in, they don't, they gather what they think will, should be on a roadmap from bottom up, right? And then they take that and think about sort of what themes there and that makes sense and put that as sort of a general North Star. And it's like, this is where we want to go. But at the end of the day, the specific implementation or even how that roadmap is shaped is still done by um, the people at the working level. So yeah, I, I, I think that's in contrast to Apple, which will, according to what I hear from colleagues who, who came there, uh, come from, from there. Um, a lot of the vision stuff happens at the working level, I heard, but the actual vision making, like the final call, like exactly this is what we're going to do and pursue is ha- happens at the top. And there, um, I think some, I was talking to the group product manager, their version of group product manager, I guess they call it the senior product marketing manager on the iPad team, iPad OS team. Um, we and then talk somebody I, there. I mean, who knows if he's still there? But uh, anyway, so I had a chat with him, and he described. I was asking him, "Hey, what's the what's the, like the decision making style? You know, at Apple, right? I mean, this is just a standard co- sort of company culture question. So it's nothing secret." And he said that it works more like a like a like an elevator. You know, like you 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 propose a bunch of stuff at your level because obviously you on the working level knows best on what your area wants, and you send that up to your leadership. Leadership then looks at all these other plans and probably in a more detailed way than, you know, leadership uh, does at Google and then sort of align all the bits and pieces and maybe come and then they send the plan back to you with a bunch of stuff that maybe some of them includes what included what you proposed. Some of them included things that you didn't even think about, right? Because maybe other orgs have requested this thing and they deemed it important. So now you're doing it. Whereas at Google, that process is, is it's not, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. If right, I so want, there's this almost more yeah. of like, uh, like a, you know, do you know that carnival, um, ride where it looks like a slingshot? You go up and down and up and down. Yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. It kind of yeah. sounds like that. You know, you have like multiple rounds up and down for like feedback, I guess. Versus it yeah. sounds like for, for Google, I would have actually used the elevator example because it sounds like it would just go up, right? So it's like one like unidirectional instead of bidirectional. I think what happens at the top at Google is different. Um, you know, if I want to get something done, 
if I want to ask Workspace to get something done for us, right? Like Google Workspace, like Docs, Slides, sure. they're in a completely different org with a completely different SVP. Our only shared point of contact in the tree of reporting line is soon done, right? But, you know, I work on Chromebooks. There are a lot of things that Workspace and Chromebooks could collaborate on that could benefit our users, right? But it's, it's just much more difficult to do at Google because I can't go to them and say, I wanted this thing done then they will say, well, you know, our leadership, you need to talk to our leadership. So it, it keeps bubbling up. And then there's not that same process in Apple, which is um, leadership will talk to each other about these things at a very detailed level. And then it will decide that, okay, this thing Workspace needs to do, not for the, spa- for the benefit of Workspace, but for the benefit of Chromebooks, for example. Um, whereas at Google, it's a lot more uh, autonomous at a working level. So we don't really think about I mean, we do, but it's really hard to get alignment at that okay, across so many parents, right? That's interesting because at Meta and now in Indeed, it sounds like ours is at least more freeform um, or or flexible to sort of cross-pollinate because at both companies, I would very much be able to go to another team and be like, yo, I want to build, like our team's thinking about building this thing. Can you I build mean, up I service? can do that too. I can do that right. too, but the problem is when these teams have different incentives, yeah. then it's really hard to align because then the only person who can make that call is a shared, it's a shared, uh, some sort of director or leadership, right? Well, and it doesn't have to be shared. It could just be like a director to director chat. Now, if they need to escalate it, yeah, like it's going to eventually escalate all the way out if it need be. But most of the time, I mean, uh, here here's, a, here's another little secret for a lot of you, like, there's so many engineers to so little PMs that like some PMs are just running for work. And so they'll be like, oh, that's a partnership opportunity. That's still like some scope for the product to, you know, or for my team to work on. And I didn't have enough plan because I'm one person planning for like 15 engineers. Like, let me take that in so that I can, you know, this other person will own the requirements too and I can get credit for it. And like those opportunities, at least I know a lot of teams that are open to them. I think it's a little bit different. Uh, what I, the specific and you scenario always I'm have thinking, shared KRs too, you know. Uh, yeah, but the specific scenario I'm thinking of is when you're doing when you're asking somebody to do something that doesn't benefit their product specifically at all, but benefits the company as a whole in a way that's hard to measure. So there's no reason. There's like in, in at least in in a company like Google, with bottom up. There's no incentive for that in team to to prioritize your feature request, because they they have all the all they have all the decision making space to kind of maximize sort of their products benefit, right? I mean, I think this is why companies like Google, Facebook, have excellent individual products, but we also have so many products, right? And not every one of them, you know, make it. Uh, and 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 not all of them work as well with each other. We'll have this, uh, you know, this really um, super consistent sort of theme across, um, as much as Apple or maybe Microsoft even does. So in in this, this example, I'm thinking about like you know I I can't if I were in their shoes I wouldn't prioritize the feature either because there's zero benefit to me to my users to my product and the way that Google is set up is so autonomous and you get so much power that. Within within that work, in that, you know, I just have to care about if I'm a Google Docs PM or Google Workspace PM, 
I just care about Google Workspace. And I want to make sure Google Workspace does the best as if this is the only company within Google. Right? Well, After, I mean, I'm that's still going to be the case everywhere. I think like you're going to be prioritizing your own, your own product and, and team. And if you don't have capacity, you're not going to take it on. So I would go back to say like, is it more of a, of an issue where if they have a whole bunch of requests, yeah, you're, you're, likely not going to get prioritized compared to something that's going to directly impact their TRs. Like same thing but, for my team. If, if, if you yeah. come to me and, and I, I don't have, you know, spare bandwidth because I have a whole bunch of stuff I need to do for, for like my product, for my KRs. Yeah. I pr- I'd probably be, you know, be like, yeah, I, you know, maybe but, if, can you but come that's, back like next? Uh-huh. But that's the same thing, right? And we're talking about that. You don't have bandwidth to prioritize it because it doesn't make sense for what metric you're trying to optimize. But what about, the metric that the company cares about, right? Like for example, Google cares a lot about search revenue, right? That's like what something like I think it's public, like like a, more than half of its revenue comes from it. Um, um, and you know, Google Workspace they make money by charging licenses, right? You you, you know you can pay for uh, like education or enterprise licenses. That's how they make money, and they care a lot about growing users uh, of work users of workspace. Uh, you know, we care a lot about growing holistic Google users. Because anybody who buys a Chromebook, they're going to be using a lot of Chromebooks, uh, Google services. So, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking like, you know, if maybe it doesn't benefit Workspace, it doesn't benefit their monthly active users, but what if it benefits Google as a whole, right? What if it gets more people to buy Chrome OS or Chromebooks? And then, um, then you, you, it maybe benefits Google more than just optimizing something for um uh for for you got to turn your mic 180 degrees around you're facing the wrong way the the low that's what i had it facing but then you you told me to turn it no you had it turned like on the side no but anyway uh, don't worry about it go on Uh uh-huh well we we got new mics and then we're just playing with it anyway so my, my basically my point is i think i think there are cases where Teams should be doing something that does not benefit the product at all, but benefits the company as a whole. And I think at Google, that is really, really hard to make happen because of the nature of everybody sort of running their own domain and and running their own domain as if this is an independent company. And so there's not a lot of, um, it's not a lot of, like, you you know, there's tons of collaboration going on at Google, but only when their incentives align, right? But when their incentives don't align, it's really, really hard to convince them to say, hey, it's for the better, you know, better uh, benefit of the company. And we're going to, and whereas the example I use for Apple is even if the incentives don't align, um, if the leadership at whatever level, whatever level determines that, you know, for the consistency sake or for, you know, maybe like interoperability sake or maybe for, uh, you know, multi-platform having the same feature sake, right? Even though on your roadmap, that thing is not going to necessarily make you know, this Apple Notes app get more users, but it's important for us to have this feature across all Apple apps. So you should build that next year, even though that's not going to necessarily increase your usage. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Is that I, I, I'm not saying that it's like a bad or good because you know by Apple style, it's, they it's also a, can't it's do a it. strategy and trade off. Yeah, exactly. And this is why we're able to have so many apps that are that go really really deep, right? was a lot of Apple's apps, I think, are quite shallow in a sense. You know, they don't do a lot of really deep stuff or satisfy a lot of deep use cases, but they all have a certain consistency or feature set to them. Um, but yeah, 
Why are we talking about this? <laughs> I don't remember, but whatever reason, it's it's turned this episode into basically you know PMs introducing PMs and on and ranting about being a PM. So well, more of like comparing different organizational styles, right? And also the benefits and and sort of from personal experience. Yeah. Yeah, well, sure. If, if you say, want to ramp it up that, say, that way. Uh-huh. I have to say at this point, like, you know, everything I say does not represent my employer. <laughs> just based <laughs> on my limited, biased personal experience. Uh, yeah, and who knows if Apple actually runs that way or not. I just hear it from people. But I think it's interesting yeah, to think we, about. We, we got to have fine print that basically goes like, all of this is a fictitious, you know, rendition. And like, you know, <laughs> Jasper and Donnie might not even be our real names for all you know. Yeah, I think... Uh, it's interesting to think about how different organization styles enables different kinds of product making. This is not new. I think people have written about this plenty of times. But yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, we are at the 50-minute mark. Maybe it's time to call it a wrap. Yeah, uh, let's, let's do that. And, and interestingly Any... enough, one of the reasons why I turned around my mic, as, as you mentioned, because they're new, is because there's a red light here. And I'm like, oh, am I muted? But I shouldn't be. No. I was, I was, no, it's, it's only muted if it's flashing. So if you click on it, it's muted. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I guess that's it. Tell maybe right. next time, folks. See you all next time. Peace. Bye-bye.